Hi everybody, I'm sure many of you would have heard by now that unfortunately on Sunday, Frenchy Cannoli, the king of hash, passed away. Uh, his wife Kimberly put a post up on Instagram on Sunday explaining how he'd passed away because of complications down to surgery. We were lucky enough to speak with Frenchy. We interviewed him uh, for episode 18 of High on Homegrown. And we had a good hour and a half conversation with him. And he was such a cool guy, so down to earth, and, you know, so full of knowledge at the same time, but very humble too. You know, he's very quick to say that the only reason why he is the king of hash is because of the farmers he chooses to work with. He was an actual legend. You know, if you haven't seen his videos, you don't know who Frenchy is, then he's got his YouTube channel. You can go and check him out and stuff. So here's the video of the interview we did with Frenchie uh, back in October. Us at High and Homegrown at Persis would like to extend our condolences out to Kimberly, Frenchie's wife, and you know their whole family. It's they must be going through terrible times right now. We would like to dedicate this video to Frenchie, and even now we massively appreciate the fact that he took uh, took time to just come and speak to us about hash, and we had a real good time, man. We, you know, it felt like sitting down with a good friend and talking about something we all love. And it's a shame that we won't be able to do that again. Rest in peace, Frenchie. You, you're an absolute legend, mate. Yeah, There's not much else you can say other than that, really. So what you can do is sit down, relax, and check out this video or this audio, whichever way you're listening to it. Roll yourself a nice spliff of some sour diesel, if you have it, with some hash. And just remember Frenchie, the king of hash. So here we go. Yeah, yeah. I'm Mackie from PersysGrowRoom.com. We'll quickly introduce ourselves. And we have Temple Grower. You want to say hi, TG? Yeah, hey, Frenchie. I'm a Temple Grower up here in the Saskatchewan in Canada. It was a pleasure and an honor to meet you. Nice meeting you. Oh, you in Canada? We were wondering where you were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. no, up in the... well, um, I'm in the UK, and we also okay. have Monkey as well. Monkey, want to say hi? Hey, Frenchie, how you doing? This is Monkey. I'm down here in the southeast United States, hurricane country, man. I, I really like your uh, your logo, man. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. <laughs> so, Frenchie, uh, it's a massive pleasure for you to be on the show. Thanks for joining us, man. Mm -hmm. uh, you are known as like the hash king, the legend of hash, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. They make a big deal uh, of me. It's a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because being a hash maker is so much like being a winemaker. Mm. I'm totally dependent on my quality come from the farmer. Yeah, I'm 101% dependent. It's uh, like a winemaker or like a, a Michelin star chef. Mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, you need to be able to, uh, to be part of the growing uh, cycle to be able to, uh, to bring the best to, into whatever you're doing. So do you grow as well, Frenchy? You grow your own, right? Uh, a little bit this year because of COVID. Oh, right, normally, no, I don't have the time to, uh, to take care of it. I'm really like a winemaker. I work with certain cultivars and certain vineyards, basically. Yeah. And it's mostly, for the moment, it's really Northern California regenerative farming. Mm. 
we spoke to a uh, Swami Shitanya and he, he was talking about appellations when it comes to cannabis. So people know where the cannabis is being grown. Is that something you're interested in as well? Something you're looking at? Uh, I kind of, uh, people thought I was crazy when, uh, when I was talking about it a few years back and now it's, uh, it's becoming really important. Yeah. And, uh, there is, uh, there is a first law sign, uh, appellation are in a game and it all starts with the soul, which, uh, to a level it's, uh, yes, uh, there is no appellation that do not start with the soul, but at the same time, the soul became so important. If we don't give life back to the soul we have, we do not have much longer to uh, on the planet. There is so many harvests basically that uh, that we can have. So it's uh, it goes beyond the appellation. It goes into the domain where regenerative farming is the future if we want a future. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about that a lot this week. Yeah. Yeah. We have a responsibility. We have a bigger responsibility towards the planet than most because we are connected with a plant that has the, the potential to, to change the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you source all of your cannabis from organic farms, I assume, and then you make your hash out of it. Yeah, small organic farm, only in the Emerald Triangle, most of them regenerative. Awesome, awesome. It's a good stance to have, you know, supporting the smaller businesses and making sure that, because they can look after their cannabis better, these smaller farms, they've got more love built into their plants. I mean, it's very much part of my culture. Uh, As a Frenchman, if I test something good, I want to know where it comes from because mm-hmm. that's what created it. Mm-hmm. And then when I travel uh, for the, these 20 years in producing country, nobody really cared much that I made the, the ash or the charas. What mm-hmm. they wanted to know is where did I go to make it? Mm-hmm. The valley, the hamlet in the valley, is that what gave the value to the ash I was making? So when I came to California, it was the same. It was the land, the climate, and the, the genetic. But in Cali, it's not land race anymore. It's, right. There is a breeder behind the genetic that should get the credit for the amazing mm-hmm. stuff they, they have been producing. And there is an actual farmer behind the plant. It's not like farming in producing country where you just break the ground. Yeah. You throw the seed at the, at the rainy season and uh, you harvest six months later, basically. Mm-hmm. Here, there is a lot of love and dedication that come into growing those, uh, those plants. So in my head, I, I really truly became like a winemaker. I, uh, I work with, uh, with cultivar and vineyard and that's what defines the quality of what I do, which is why I'm, uh, I'm fighting for my farmer because... There's a very source of uh, of me being a king. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah, you are what you eat. That's that's the thing up in in Canada too. You know, they when we first legalized in 2018, they went for the big production model, but basically nobody could see or 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 
guaranteed, well, they can guarantee, but they couldn't see where their, their cannabis is coming from. And a lot of the cannabis probably wasn't, you know, made for what they or how they were growing it in these giant industrial warehouses. But then when you start scaling down, like we've seen uh, lately here, there's more focus on the craft grows and the micros and, and actually knowing where it's where it's being grown and, and sourcing it from your own home province kind of thing, because, you know, there there's those characteristics that I think that are that are lost in the in the in the corporateness of it all. So it's it's nice you know, to see that the, the corporate world, especially in Canada, made the went against the first law of dealing drug because mm. cannabis is still is still a drug. Mm. If you don't have fire, you don't sell. Simple. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not how much you can produce, it's how much you can move. And that was a big mistake that they, they have learned, hopefully they bring the legacy market into, uh, into the game that, because that's the people with the knowledge and the genetic. Huh? Mm-hmm. And the practice. Yeah. For sure. So uh, I've seen, uh, what, what, they, what were they teaching them? Little balls, the, uh, the hash balls, temple balls, are they called? The temple balls, yeah. Mm. I saw one of those in the black pots, man. They're so well presented. Beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) So so for me, the Stample Ball is as a homage, homage, you say in in English, to one of the most amazing ash crafts that I have ever seen. In Nepal, there is, they make Temple Balls that they call Royal Nepalese Temple Ball. they just don't make a big, beautiful ball without any blemish. Mm. From that ball, they can uh, create a, a layer, a hard layer of a one or two millimeter thick on the outside that protects the inside of the, ah. of the ball. It's like when you don't have packaging, you use resin to protect the resin. It, it mm, feels sure. like an eggshell. It feels solid. Mm-hmm. But um, it's kind of like the, the crust of a Parmesan cheese. That's exactly what you I was going to ask you, like a cheese rind. You create an outside layer to have, to protect the inside and have a, a transformation happening inside that mass. It was like. So Temple Ball, it's really as an homage to, uh, to that most amazing experience I had in, uh, in Kathmandu. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that, that experience in, in Kathmandu? Is it- so, <laughs> it's, uh, that guy invited me for a smoke. My English was really poor at the time. All right. uh, the guy English wasn't much better than mine. <laughs> and so he invited me at his house and it's like, Small room, little ceiling, no, uh, no really glass on a window, only a wooden, uh, wooden board mm-hmm. open and with uh, the family temple and on the temple, they wear that ball. And he picked up that ball. So I could understand Royal Nepalese temple ball because even in, uh, in 1980, uh, it was the meat already in, uh, in Nepal. You know what I mean? 
Mm. People were talking about it, nobody had seen it and nobody had smoked it. And it was, it looks like, you know, a, a stone polished by the river. It's black, but it's not really black. It's mm -hmm. really dull, almost grayish. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time really understanding what he was telling me. And he started to make like little pokey hole over the, the circumference. All right. And talk and talk and talk. So it's like, we were not really sitting. We were sitting like Indian way, you know, you're uh, uh -huh. crouched. <laughs> your butt is not really touching the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was looking closely at what he was doing because it was pretty mysterious. And then when he finished poking it, he broke it, but he really broke the, the piece into like under my nose. It's the first time in my life that I was literally punched <laughs> by the tear. I, I, I was on my butt. I, it put me on my butt, literally. Wow. Wow. And inside it was a crazy caviar looking texture, mm. black, purple, reddish type of color. It's like, wow. Oh. I don't remember. I don't remember smoking it. <laughs> I don't remember the eye. The only things I remember is being punched by the terp. Mm. And, uh, and I, had, I, I mean, I had not seen much charas at that time. I had just did, I had just done a tiny bit in, uh, in Pokhara. Uh, charas is where you rub the flower, right? And yeah. then you pick off all the stickiness off your hands. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it, it, it was amazing for me to see that resin can protect itself and, uh, and age and get to such an amazing uh, potential. Mm. That was the first time I saw an age uh, ash. It was like supposedly 10 or 12 years old. I, I can't remember exactly. Wow. So it wasn't long ago then. <laughs> that's like aged whiskey that, that long. That's wow. That's amazing. Mm. So uh, do you make your own hashtag like personally now? Or do you have some guys working on it like staff as a company? The way you produce it in the, the, like the temple balls? No, I make it myself with my apprentice. Nice. So yeah, still crafted at home and sent Absolutely. out. Handmade craft hash. Yeah. I hold the tire, each temple ball. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh, I'm a Very fan. And see I my picture there, there's... Quality. So this is what? I was just going to say, there's a couple... Um, yeah, there's a couple companies that are doing some kind of... Uh, well, they look like... Well, they're balls of hash. They call them Buddha balls, but they... They're similar to temple balls, I guess. So it seems like the, the hash you, you is... You know, the name is not really important. The fact is that a ball holds in itself the power. Mm. A, a temple ball does not smell. If you don't smell, you don't lose step. Mm. Right. Everything is stuck inside. Ooh. And that's the beauty of it. It's, I think it's one of the best way to... Uh, to age ash, that's why I'm uh, I'm pretty uh, dedicated to it. Outside the experience I just mentioned, <laughs> we understand that. Um, I was actually watching your your video about uh, how to make hash using those um, 
the the bags and the washing and all that. And you were you mentioned that um, the kind of bud that you prefer is is more fluffy because it gives the trichomes more room to grow. And I've always I've always thought you know hash people who would like to make hash like like a hash plant essentially uh, for for lack of a better term I guess uh, those really really stocky resinous dense kind of indica type growth ones, but that seems like you said, it, it kind of doesn't make sense because the buds will be so dense that once you get them into the water and they spread out, then there, there wouldn't be as much resin. So I was, yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive, but that, that absolutely makes sense. But uh, what, what kind of like, what do you uh, prefer for strain wise, I guess, in terms of the hash that you make? Uh, imagine, imagine that for most of your life, you have six flavors. Moroccan, but like uh, you can recognize it. It's like it's they are very very different. You have Moroccan, Lebanese, Turkish, Middle East, and outside Turkey, I have never seen much. Uh, Pakistani, Afghanistan, that is pretty similar. It's only the the qualities that really make the difference. And then India, Nepal, the Charas. That's very limited. When I came to America, I met for the first time diversity, and it, I'm still enjoying it. I'm, I'm mm. so amazed by the, the diversity of terpene profile from a super gazy sour tea to uh, literally smoking a banana. It's like mm. you smoke, it's like crunching the, eating the fruit is like, mm. and everything is between. There is so many flowers that for me, it's, it's difficult to make, uh, to make favorites, but there is a few. I like the gas, so sourdough is one of the big one on, uh, on my list, and it mm -hmm. makes an amazing ash. Mm -hmm. uh, any ash maker that has touched sourdough uh, would agree with me. Then there is a, a Pinot Noir from uh, Aficionado Estate that, uh, that makes the ash that tastes like uh, milk chocolate. Oh, gosh. Like, huh. Milk huh. chocolate. Huh? Oh. Well, you got this crazy arms, chocolate hash. You, you smell it, it's, it's chocolate. Oh. Then there is uh, a black lime that is very much like sour tangy that 50% uh, sour D gas and uh, 50% the sweet lime. Oh, I'm uh, going crazy here, man. You know, I love hash. <laughs> I fucking love hash, right? But there's a problem being in the UK. It's illegal. And you can't get hash, man. There's no good hash in this country anywhere. You have to leave the country to find the good shit. And you're here talking about this one tastes like milk chocolate. And this one is like crunching a banana. I'm like, oh gosh, man. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> uh, I'm in my mid-30s. Okay. So when I when I left France, I was 18 years old. Oh. I left because not only I wanted the freedom and I was really crazy about traveling, but to be able to uh, to get to the quality. The quality you want is not for sale anywhere mm. in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. The quality you want is the stash of the local. 
Yeah. <laughs> you want to have that, Absolutely. Right. you need to make it yourself. That's what I did for mm. 18, 20 years solid traveling. Mm -hmm. I traveled in producing country. I stayed three, four months with a local making my own because what I wanted wasn't for sale. Now, in California, not only I have crazy diversity, but what took me months living like a crazy maniac in a cave <laughs> and stuff, I can make it in a day. <laughs> you know, yeah. now oh, I can actually share my stash that mm. I would have never thought would be possible. I would have never sold my, my stash. I would smoke it with people, mm. but I would, it, it was just too precious to, uh, yeah. to share. Now, well, it's as precious, but I can make quantity of quality. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Come a long way. All right. We're a, we're a grow room, so we have a lot of first-time growers up there, and we're always talking about hash. If we had a new grower come in and wanted to go ahead and make a run of hash, how much should they, how much uh, bud should they have on hand for a reasonable run with hash to have a reasonable year? In other words, how much to make it worth, worth the work? You can always make it work well. Uh, you have your trim already. Mm -hmm. And you have basically between, it goes from 3% to 25% that I have experienced return. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, uh, I'm, uh, I look at the 8 to 12% return to be in a, in a good zone. Right. Mm. Anything about over 15 uh, start to be really interesting. When you get into the 20 ret return, you want to lock down that genetic and that farmer. Yeah. Okay. But your quality is not only dependent on the genetic, it's totally dependent on the harvesting time. Uh -huh. Your farmer has a three days window to give you field trichon gland. If you harvest too early, two weeks early, which happen often in the yeah. Uh, a lot, yeah. You have the trichon gland, but the resin is not yet formed inside while you have the cannabinoid. Mm -hmm. The closer you come to the peak cycle of the flowering cycle, right. the right. more resin is formed inside the, the, the gland. Right. When you come into that three days window, there, uh, that's what makes a, a six star melt. Mm -hmm. you need to get to that level of, uh, of ripeness of the flower to have your gland really filled up with, uh, with resin. Yeah. So how would you go about identifying that uh, sort of particular stage, the trichomes of that, which you're looking for before you harvest yeah. for it, for so ash? You have to understand that as a grower, you're growing flower. Mm -hmm. yeah. You are not growing trichomes. Trichum is a defensive system that the plant produces to protect itself. And in that resin gland, it's poison. It's like heavy duty chemical arsenal that will never touch the plant because it's not good for the plant. Okay. It has nothing to do with the main metabolism of the plant, which 
the flowering cycle is part of. So you cannot look at a second, at a, a, a protuberance that produces secondary metabolite and determine the peak of, uh, of your main metabolism. Mm -hmm. However, the peak of your main metabolism define how much resin is formed inside the gland. So if you could see inside the gland, you could tell if your flower is ripe. But because you grow flower, it's better to just look at your flower. In yeah. that three days peak window, the, the brack are all pumped up. It's like the, the plant expresses it. Yeah, you know? it's like it oozes juices is oily greasy mm, yeah. craziness you know that's what we always say to new growers too like once you think it's ready wait another week and then when you waited another week maybe wait another week yeah <laughs> if you're an ash maker ask your uh, your grower because most of you guys grow uh, grow indoor you have an amazing actually indoor culture i have been really blown away just <laughs> ask your farmer how many harvests do you do a year If he does five, it's not good for you. Mm. It has to be four. Mm. If there is a four harvest a year, there is a good chance for you that the guy is really harvesting at the peak of the harvesting fly, right. Uh, cycle. Right. Right. If he does five cycles a year, he's cutting corner by yeah. two weeks to be able to have that window. Yeah, But sure. that's what the market asks for at the same time, in California at least. Yeah. So it's like... Here too, there's always the early croppers because you know, yeah. people want to get their, their product want, to market. They so. want light raising glands, they want green. Yeah. And they most people don't... Few, uh, plant. Yeah, and your average customer, especially in the legacy market, you know, before there was all these, uh, you know, the connoisseurs, all the information we have, most people were happy just to get weed that got them high and, and that does do the job. But like you say, there's much, much more to it to, to actually, to, to bring it to its, its proper genetic potential. So. Yeah, and when you, when, you, uh, when you grow for ash, it's very much like growing grape to make wine. You need to wait for that peak window where all the sugar, all the power is right there take it from the, from the plant at that moment and lock it down. Right. Mm. So after you've harvested, is there a particular, particular method you dry with uh, to make sure that you preserve as many as the terpenes as possible? Yes, harvest at night. Mm -hmm. in, a, in the middle of, your, of the night, like outdoor, sun-grown plant. Yeah. After midnight, they don't produce terp anymore. They lock down, there is other function of the plant that come into play. Mm -hmm. If you harvest at that time, you save a lot of terpene. If you do it uh, during the day, if the plant, if you smell it, you're losing it. Mm -hmm. right. And as a ash maker, the name of the game is to lose as little terpene as possible. So harvesting at night is a very good way. Then you have the choice. Do you want to do live resin? which would be very much like making charas in India, or do you want to make, to work with dried and cured material? A curing of three months minimum. Wow. And make ashish. Okay. 
That's more than I thought, actually. I never considered three months a year. But that's going to make it. That's going to make it more smooth, more turpy, more rich. It's Bring out all the three months of cure. Uh huh. The first, the chlorophyll transform into sugar. Okay. So when you wash the plant and it's just dry, you're going to get a lot of chlorophyll that you mm. cannot take get rid of. You right. will have a, a hint, a, a shade of green in your mash. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to test it, but you will have it. The closer you come to the three months window, the, the lighter the green coloring, and the, it, you reach a stage where you can actually wash it away. Mm -hmm. And then when you reach to the three months, you're, it, it, there is no more. The water is gold, literally. And the, the terpene at the same time transform. There is a polymerization, a bonding of the polymer. You may lose a lot of terpene, like up to 80%, but the terpene profile that you have at the end of the curing is very different from the just dry and live. Yes. And the Pinot Noir that I told you about, uh, live resin is like a field of flower with a hint of lavender. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. You wait three months, you have chocolate. Yeah. Wow. So you may lose, but it's not, it's not the amount of terpen. I mean, the amount of terpen that you have count, for sure. But the, the woe and the uniqueness of the terpen profiles that you can get sometimes is worth the loss because you, was, you have something that is so damn unique. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's like, what is better? You can't say it's just not the same product. It's like yeah. <laughs> going in India and smoking charas or going to Afghanistan and smoking hashish. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. And I, I was reading this article about I'm not a chemist by any means, so forgive my uh, not great chemical terminology, but there's the monoterpenes and the sesquiterpenes, and they were saying that these monoterpenes that, are, like you said, those lavender smells that you get out of the fresh bud, they, they're so volatile and they, they just react so quickly that, yeah, you lose them, but they do, you know, they have their, um, the pathway that they go through and they change into different molecules, and then you end up with that very, very unique, um, but you can only get that. By, by properly curing and everything, right? So it's important. You lose, you may lose. There is, first there is the world drying, curing, there is stuff happening in the terpen mm. because it transforms terpen. Mm -hmm. And the sun oxidation right. uh, does something also to the terpen. That's why when you, when you analyze the traditional ash, and the flower that was used to make the ash, you find compound that doesn't exist in the plant. Mm -hmm. been a, there is a transformation. So there is, there is losing and degradation, but at the same time, you transform. It's like the cannabinoid. Uh, yeah, THCA is not the same than THC and CBN, and it's a whole degradation of it. But right. when the degradation, it's a, a, a transformation, 
Vous êtes bring on a table an amazing cannabinoid or a new rare monoterpen. Well, uh, is it really a degradation and a loss when you gain for it? That's right, yeah. It's just make it different. It's different. Absolutely. And so it comes down to the personal preference really at that point. But um, yeah, the terpenes, I, I'm really glad that there's like, we were talking with Swami, he was he was very into the terpenes and stuff, doing his judging at the Emerald Cup. And, and it seems like, like, THC is always and CBD uh, lately has gotten all the attention, but nowadays terpenes and, and flavonoids and things and these these uh, minor but not so minor compounds are getting much more attention and and well deserved attention too because you know like I was saying in the interview yesterday THC you're going to get THC and CBD and, and those cannabinoids in in your flower like that's that's what it is the molecule THC is the molecule THC but the subtle differences in the effects and everything and those and those flavor profiles come from the terpenes and the flavonoids so it's really really important to properly preserve them and and uh encourage them i guess they carry the cannabinoid in your blood system mm. they go through cell wall to lock down in uh in the cell it's like and while they don't lock to uh to the endocannabinoid system they lock to systems that are connected to the endocannabinoid system. So the entourage effect, while right. it doesn't go through all the CB, uh, CB1 and CB2 uh, receptors, it's still connected to it. So uh, if, um, let's say, uh, it, it's super apparent when you do a D-ball. So from, I always add ash because the greatest lit, uh, writer in French literature were from the Club of Ashishin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My favorite of the favorite, all of them. When yeah. I started to smoke, it were, I thought it would be very cool to, uh, to eat ash. I mean, it, my heroes were like, uh, literally eating ash. So from a kid, we, always, we had a, a recipe that uh, lasted since now. We would... Uh, prep some ash into, uh, into alcohol, like a, a cognac, a brandy, a rum, mm -hmm. a tequila overnight, and then prepare a, a strong coffee with uh, sugar. We would add the, the mix to the, to the coffee, a dollop of cream uh, in a little uh, espresso cup. Mm -hmm. And during COVID, like uh, basically uh, 40 years uh, later, I, uh, I thought it would be cool to share. And I did, and I was sharing also a, a traditional bang recipe with a bunch of spices. Mm. Okay. And I didn't put that much weed in that recipe. And it was like really a trippy, trippy experience. Uh, that made me remember actually the bong in India that I had a little bit forgotten that it wasn't just cool. eating ash. Yeah. So I tried my ash, my, uh, what I call Jesus, my recipe, but I added spices like pepper, van uh, cardamom, mm. and vanilla stick and to, uh, to see what it will do. Mm -hmm. Frenchie, you need to open a cocktail bar, man. <laughs> Sounds like coffee house to me, man. No, I need to check that shit out. No, yeah. but it's like I, I, I want people to be aware that 
you can totally transform the experience. I can make it uh, more relaxing. I can make it everything I want because there is the term from the plant, but then the spices and herbs that you can add to an edible, that's a lot of power. Mm. Totally transform the... Uh, the experience. Yeah, the whole experience. Oh, oh, the coffee amazing. idea makes me want to make my own hash. That sounds awesome. Yeah, oh, you know. Dude, with chocolate. I tried the recipe. Instead of putting hash, I did, I did hot chocolate. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> so the bad news now. How many, how many oh. ounces of weed do I need to start this process with? Uh, you can start with whatever you want. It's like you, uh, if you have flour, the best is or to make a coconut oil, or yeah. to uh, to collect the gland and uh, and go straight from the from the gland. Yeah, about how many ounces should I start with? Do I need a half a pound? Can I do it with an ounce? Uh, do I need a pound? Uh, you can do it with an ounce. You can do it with an ounce. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. What method so would you use to make it? Then would you use uh, like ice water hash? Uh, before I use water ash, I did dry sieving. Yeah, I like dry, uh, dry ash. I mean, dry it, and it's super simple. I just pick up uh, a Pyrex uh, container, mm -hmm. not too flat, like a little bit uh, with some uh, wall aids. Uh, you put your flour into uh, a cheesecloth, mm -hmm. like or, uh, a, a nice sieve material, a bit fine. Uh, you close the lid and you shake. Mm -hmm. And you collect after uh, after shaking, you got a plenty. Wow! Nice. Yes, like sieving is simple. Mm -hmm. Or you, if you really want to get everything out of it, there is some cool recipe to make coconut oil, and the coconut oil mixed really well with the alcohol and the coffee and the chocolate and the other spices. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds, sounds good. Like and that makes me. Uh, <laughs> Get some ideas. We just got some snow up here in Saskatchewan, so that hot chocolate sounds like a really good idea. Uh -huh. I, saw, I, saw, I saw that snow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yes. Now, you're describing hash as being fine wine. Does hash need to be stored any special way to keep it, keep it just right? Yes, it's um, because I, uh, I have experienced a lot of different aged ash from just made to I think the oldest one was 12, 13 years old oh. and everything in between and I've seen stuff happening during the 18, 20 years that I spent in producing country, I've seen stuff happen, I've seen transformation of resin where the, the resin literally absorb mm -hmm. the contaminants that you have like in India uh, you do a hand when you do really clean and you just caress the plant and try to take most of the contaminant from your hand, you do five, seven grams of hand, maybe three times a day. Mm -hmm. And every time when you, when you uh, un, uh, unstick your hand, you have your little chunk of ash that you, we put it normally in between thick plastic sheets, really flat, so that only the outside, the very, very thin part could have contact with oxygen. So you have really a, a thin, almost transparent uh, little pancake. And 
you can see really well contaminant in, in, uh, into it. Not even when, uh, even when you're really careful, the cream of the cream, you have always a little bit. You, you, uh, you look at it three months later, it's gone. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. The resin, the, the resin is corrosive, the terpene highly corrosive. Anything that is not resin and terp and, uh, and cannabinoid is going to be absorbed. And like the membrane, everything. It's like making wine. Yeah. You don't have the, the matrix that created the juice and the, and the sugar. You cannot make the wine. When mm. you make hashish, when I, I pressed all those glands together inside that mass of hashish, there is that matrix that make, transform two toxic compounds into 155 medicinal compound. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, uh -huh. if you take this of the equation, when you extract, when you take only the resin, there is nothing wrong about it. But you leave behind a big part of the, of the equation. However, you step into an amazing new territories with diversity, the name of the game, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is loss, but you gain a lot by going further. I'm just making wine. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I don't refine. I, uh, you can make many, many, many different alcohol from grape up to 99.9% .9 ethanol. Yeah. But to make wine, you need the matrix that created the juice and the sugar. So my niche is really that little part of, of what the concentrate world is. Yes. Wow. I'm just baffled, man. Like, wow, hash. It's, it's important, man. You, like, there's so much emphasis it seems these days on the concentrates and the shatter and yeah. the butane extractions and stuff. But like, hash is as old as well as old as cannabis, really. Yeah. It's, it's some of the you know, like you say, the the best hash is is the best. Period. You mm. know, you don't get much better than that. So, um, yeah, like. The effects are so, so different. And you, mm. I, I experienced it really, really when I smoke the rosin that I squish from my ash. You smoke the ash, especially here where there is not as much a difference between the, the, the buzz of a, a live resin like charas in India and ashish like Afghanistan. It's... Yeah. It's somewhere in between that little speedy uh, eye of the Himalayan uh, genetic towards the more uh, relaxing effect of the of the Kush mountain. Right. So you have like you have that feeling of really comfortable warmth, like a warm blanket around you in front of a, a fireplace. But anything you want to do, there is energy behind. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sounds when uh, and it, it, the, the buzz <laughs> lasts a long time. That's that well-beingness type of feeling that mm -hmm. lasts. When you smoke the rosin, it bangs you. It's speedy and it's short. Yeah. yeah. Like nothing to do with it. I, I, I kind of like it. Don't get me wrong. Huh? I'm a ash, uh, I'm a <laughs> smoker, but in the afternoon, instead of having an espresso, well, 
Eisner have a dab or two of, uh, of rosin. Well, it's like yeah, ash approach too, is so. coffee. <laughs> and, you know, rosin is like an energy drink. Espresso, <laughs> yeah, something. You know, it's like a Red Bull. It's another world, it's another buzz. It's mm, so yeah. many more potentials that are opening uh, just because you squish with temperature and eat. You can make pure TLCA, you can make bloody yeah. sauce. You can go crystal in your terre, dude. It's like, it's crazy what they do. Yeah. So I have a lot of respect for extraction. I come from the, from South of France, from the perfume industry. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. uh, you have to remember that BHO is the ultimate tool mm. to preserve the most volatile terpene. Mm -hmm. And When you have a master playing with BHO, I have smoked sauce. And when you know, you, I smoke sauce of flowers that I know super well, that I've made ash with it for a minute. Mm -hmm. The guy reached such a level that I now I need to know what does he has that I don't, what's the difference between my ash and his? Mm -hmm. Because as much as I like my ash, the dude is putting a terpene profile on a table. It's a flower. <laughs> Concentrate form. It's like, whoa. Mm. So you There's some wizards out there for sure. Yeah, we, we, we have to learn to appreciate the diversity that the cannabis tricone gland offers us. Mm. And If you look at the, uh, at the alcohol industry, I make often the, the comparison, not only because I see ash like wine, but the whole concentrate industry is very much like the alcohol beverage industry because yeah. of the diversity. So in the, in the beverage industry, have you ever heard of anybody comparing wine to any type of hard liquor or beer or any other alcohol for that matter. Oh, and anybody telling you that making whiskey is mm. the best steak and making tequila sucks. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. they, we don't have that appreciation of diversity because we are so into my stuff is the best. Yeah, right. It's a big problem. Maybe. It's the best, but why don't you take the time to appreciate the craft and uh, of, of, of the other products that mm -hmm. are put on the market? Right. Especially yeah. that if you don't do BHO, everybody is actually looking at BHO because they're the one who brings the next and will bring the next and will always be at the cutting edge of the development of, uh, of concentrate. You, uh, if you're into concentrate guy, you really have to understand that. So a little respect to all the crabs that create all those amazing products, even ethanol, dude. Ethanol, you can bring some serious medicine on the table, on the table, really full spectrum. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's not something that I would smoke, but I have a lot of respect for what it brings on the table because it's, it's amazing to be able to capture so much You know what I mean? And that's what we should focus on instead of really... Yeah, encourage encourage yeah, people yeah. to do their thing. You know? I wonder if that's almost just a function of the cannabis culture. It seems like we, we kind of run into that with 
with growers too, right? Everybody's growing technique that they use is the best. And if you don't use my hydro with these nutrients and that, you then know, your plant's got to die. Then it's, then it sucks. It's not, it can't be good. Uh, it's like, well, like everybody's doing it good. It's just, yeah, you got to appreciate it. If you're a grower and you use hydro and you use chemical nutrients, uh, you're part of the problem. There is that argument, yeah. That We've been true. having this discussion recently. You have to remember that, do it. And uh, because you're into the cannabis industry, it takes another level of responsibility. You, you have to be an example. Sure. You, know what I mean? you have to be a role model. And it's not fun, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's the name of the game. At that level, we need to be role model to the rest of the planet. And if you sure. grow, uh, even even more so, you need to be careful of what you use. You need to be careful of how do you uh, you get rid of the stuff you use. You need to to be careful of everything you use because it has a strong impact on, uh, That's right. on the planet. And we can't Keep our carbon footprint as low as possible. We don't want yeah, to hurt anyone anymore. Holistic growing is important. It's something yeah. that we have, kind of uh, which I think. We don't push enough on purses, I think. I think we need to start heading more in that direction of being, uh, you, know, yeah. you know, having less carbon footprint and having less impact on the environment. Organic, if you can, you know, try and yeah. encourage people to do that. Local based, yeah. Yeah, yeah. as much as possible. Prohibition doesn't help also because even if you want, yeah, exactly. uh, it become a little obvious sometimes. You know, yeah. that like uh, <laughs> they, we often do uh, stuff during prohibition, it's because. It's prohibition. It uh, it has changed our life and uh, and changed the uh, the whole evolution of the plant. Actually, it does. Yeah. That's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, we got to do what we can. But it is important to keep, at least keep that in mind. And you know, example, or at least think about it. You know, I mean, how yeah. could I get better at that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, I've talked to some people in some dispensaries around around the United States about that carbon footprint problem and the pollution problem we even have with dispensaries and, le and legally, I mean, there's so many regulations, um, any kind of cannabis in the United States that's sold, uh, sold legally has to be in childproof packaging, which is all plastic and yeah. Ziploc and everything now. else and not recycled. It's usually just thrown away, but there's yes. nothing we can do about it right now because it's federally illegal and we can't cooperate through states and it's just tough. I'm just hoping that maybe if our political society changes, maybe if it's favorable to cannabis, we can actually start pushing this in the open, in the clear, to encourage you people. You unschedule it. It's very simple. The, the states need to uh, to unschedule it, and the plant is not. Uh, yeah. Then we definitely can, medical. Uh, with then medical we can move that plant into the community garden, like the tomatoes, and grow it like it should be grown in the sun. You know. Well, you wouldn't be able to do that much in England, no? <laughs> no, no, that's true, but I'm not in the U.S. We could you, do it I mean, you, could, you could have greenhouse, you could, uh, it's that's another true. world when, uh, if it become legal. If it become legal, it's a world market. Yeah. Everything will change. Morocco, Lebanon, Afghanistan, India, all those countries would be on the table, millennium of, uh, of culture. Yeah. Experience. You know what I mean? It's like it wouldn't, it would be really different. Cannabis is the plant the most cultivated and the most uh, smuggled and uh, the biggest contraband there is on the planet. 
because yeah, there is so it. many people who are smoking it. So it's like, it's maybe time to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And it's happening. Huh? Look at the world. It's still on schedule one. We, it, should, it shouldn't be even talked as medical and the world over is legalizing. Yeah. Nobody cares anymore that it's on schedule one, more or less. Time to change it. Hopefully, it will be not schedule one much longer. Hopefully. You know, we, we only believe it when we see it, right, Frenchie? I believe it's going to happen in, uh, in another one to three years max. Exactly. Yeah. I was hoping exactly. that it's this election. Yeah, just, uh, you're right. Because if they, if they do change it, it's possible within that one or three years that for, for whatever reason, it could be rolled back or something like that, or at least regulated strongly. So uh, I'm with you. Hopefully within the next four years, we'll know our, our final trajectory in the U.S. at least. And then, then if we free yeah. up the U.S., hopefully that'll help the rest of the world to make their own choice at that point. The dominoes are falling, man. Schedule one, uh, it's... Yeah. Uh, we got to get it off the schedule the therapeutic one. They can put it maximum on, uh, on schedule four. Yeah. But uh, really? lavender is therapeutic. There's a bunch of plants that are therapeutic. You know what I mean? It's like it's another ball game. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, Mexico is thinking about legalizing in the December coming up in this year and being Canada, we've already had it legal. So maybe being sandwiched between two legal countries all. Yeah, but in Canada, you don't have <laughs> rainforest, uh, tropical uh, <laughs> condition, high desert, tropical uh, yeah. condition. Dude, Very true. Mexico, yeah. they're going to kill it. They have, they are. Yeah. They have long rest that, has, that have a world reputation and they have everything as long as climate and space goes. Right. I've been reading articles that say, yeah, they're going to be the, the world authority on cannabis. They will be a, they will be a big player. Yeah. They'll be a big player. They've been in the market forever. Yeah. Yeah, some real Mexican. I never had real Mexican weed, so that'd be awesome to get some quality stuff. Yeah. The, the first real flower brand that I ever saw was in Mexico. Mm. Oaxaca, Punta Roja, Black <laughs> I've heard Punta Roja. Yeah. big, fat bud with like, like, like a, with a branch, a little smaller branch on the side. Mm. Oh, la, la. Like, okay, <laughs> that's weird. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Crazy stuff. Uh, soon, hopefully, man. Like, we'll bring that all back into the limelight like it once was. Yeah. 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 It's exciting times. It, it is because uh, the world is changing and the world really, really needs to change at the same time. Mm. Like, we have 60 hours. Have you, have you looked, uh, seen the movie Kiss the Ground? No. no, somebody else told me about that the other day, though. Uh, all of you guys watch this movie. If you're a farmer, if you grow, doesn't matter what you do. Watch that. It's like, wow. Kiss the ground. Kiss the ground, yeah. Kiss the ground, yeah. Put Sweet. it on the queue, for sure. I'll check it out. And it's all about if we lose the life on the earth, mm. on the soil, that it mm. became dust, we're dead. Yeah, because the only thing that makes this planet alive is a billion years evolution be between living organism and a planet. Yeah. Why that planet is so different than any other one on the galaxy? It's because of that little crust of uh, of soil, living yeah. soil. Absolutely. Right. It, yeah. It's not alive anymore. We're all dead. Everything. The planet is gone. 
Yeah. Yeah. One foot so, uh, yeah. we gotta get and that it's, balance. And it. It's not that uh, that very difficult either. It's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty creepy. It's super uplifting. Yes. At the same time, that is like, oh wow, we're so much in the shade. Uh, <laughs> it's scary, but there's there's work to be done, and there's good. Like I watched a documentary last night about they reintroduced the wolves back into Yellowstone now, and people were iffy back in 1995 when that happened but 20 years later they're they're updating us now and they said that the whole ecosystem is just healthier than it's ever been yeah there's it's more so birds, important there's, it's, there's more everything right so bring that balance, balance back yeah no, it's like we don't we have too much co2 we don't know what to do you look it in the salt that's where it's it's supposed to be uh-huh. yeah. but to do that you need the living organism in the salt to do the trick uh-huh. <laughs> so that a source of food you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's all about that life in a, in a soul to a level that uh, is pretty it's amazing to a yeah. certain level because it's the beginning of life and it's been important from day one of the evolution of the planet and it's as important right today you know what i mean it's uh that's it's, the beginning wow. of the food chain itself yeah, yeah. Soil. without yeah, yeah, yeah. that everything collapses completely yeah yeah crazy stuff that's, but it's, it's true and you're true. right I, I mean i'm guilty of, like you say i am i'm still growing with salt newts because unfortunately i'm, I'm an illegal grower i'm in, in a place where i can't grow legally that does restrict me quite a bit but of course every time could, like, i get on a, a, an interview like this with you or some of the other people who've been on there and they all keep telling me i need to switch to organic so it's like it's same for me monkey man it's the same it's it's like after this i'm gonna actually have to go down that path sooner or later you know yeah it's like now after this interview it's like uh, do i need to i feel like i need to go full living organic and make fucking hash man (laughs) (laughs) i'm telling you it's like this this interview changed my life (laughs) he doesn't he makes a good point of hash i'm just listening to him break off a piece of that hash and put it in the whiskey and make coffee with it the more i'm thinking like man that sounds good (laughs) <laughs> i think this frenchman can teach us a few things <laughs> oh for sure yeah, like you guys say though it is difficult prohibition like i have a giant pile of, of used soil balls in my backyard that i'm going to transition into my compost pile and i can't you know do like, that around cops aren't, people exactly ask. they're not they're not looking in my yard but if somebody did in a in a legal area then they'd be like hmm, I, you know. I have a lot of people farmers that grow indoor no-till that's that's the ultimate for sure mm-hmm. that's a great way to this yeah you know, that's why the way i want to go yeah. i'm not quite there yeah. yet, but it's cheaper you do only compost tea and you can do it with the stuff that you get from uh, from daily life at home mm-hmm. uh, you don't bring stuff and uh, take out stuff uh, that the neighbor is really wondering what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And, uh, and you save ton of nutrients and stuff. And the plant is healthier. Yeah. So There's a few like, producers it's here that are starting to switch in and actually sitting back and, uh, and being more discreet. But yeah. you, uh, it's an extreme step to go into no-till. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work to say that you want normally pristine, it's not yeah. going to be the same feeling, no. but it doesn't smell the same also. Yeah. When you come into a no-till room, the smell is nice. 
Sweet, it's that earthy human oh, kind of sweet human. Not that the smell is bad, but there is a, a metallic edge of it that is yeah. not natural. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain. The smell mm. of a forest after a rainfall. It's the best way I can describe it. Sometimes, the forest yeah. floor after a rainfall. Mm. But what do they call those? Like tenno, I always get this wrong, like tenomyces. There's that one bacteria that that gives earth its earthy smell. And, yeah. and that's, you know, they say that gardeners are, are happier people because they smell and that gives us a, a dopamine boost and all this oh, stuff, yeah. so. You know exactly um, that smell. When I describe that smell in, yeah. in your mind, it switched on immediately, you know that smell. When, when you break yeah. that, that soil and you get that burst. Mm. No, it's like, it, it goes beyond that. You know the, what we call the terroir in French, it's the yeah. land, the climate, the genetic and the farmer and the farmer community, but it's also the taste of the place. Right. That you have the characteristic of the place in, in the wine you drink, for example, or the cheese or whatever product. But it was, it was something that had never been really scientifically proven. It was mostly in, a, in the mind of the Frenchie, <laughs> of the Frenchman. But not so long ago, like a few years back, they started to realize it's actually the microbial life in the soil, breaking the nutrients the way they break it, that brings the characteristic of the land into the fruit or the, the plant. And Absolutely. that's why you have like, you can have two terroirs that are separated by a little dirt track and it's totally different. It's not only the, the very structure of the, of the soil, it's the life in the soil mm. that makes that, dif that diversity. I think so uh, when you do farming, if you want the good stuff in the plant, well, it's all that microbial life that breaks the, that breaks the food. And you can be sure that the plant really wants it because the plant is giving sugar to be able to get the food from the, mm -hmm. the microbe. So you really, you cannot overfeed, you cannot make mistake. You have a, that buff, living buffer that control everything that the plant actually wants. And it's in, uh, in relation with, they talk to each other, literally. So they make for the plant and the plant uh, give whatever reward back. It's, uh, you have much less to do. You know what yeah. I mean? And your plant will be much healthier and... Uh, and fully exprime themselves, even if it's indoors, there is a, a fuller expression of the, of the plant. I totally agree. It's, it's kind of like, you know, um, taking a, 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 like a French recipe, I guess, um, that was developed in France using French, and French ingredients. Somebody in France um, probably is going to be able to make that dish a lot better than that same French person in America using the American ingredients, just because of, of what you say. All of the all of the, the subtle differences of, you know, the carrot's a carrot, but a carrot from France is going to be different from a carrot from America, coupled with the, uh, the subtleties of the actual, the chef himself that, it, you know, he has his little ways of doing things that you can kind of equate that to the, the uh, I guess, the, the native microbes and how they specifically break down each of the, the components of the soil in their own way that's best for that area versus just a a blanket, you know, generic microbe kind of thing. Um, Jeff Lonefels talks about native microbes in a compost probably being 
like using inoculants in your compost that come from Europe and stuff in Canada probably aren't the best because they might not be suited for our climate here, whereas the native microbes oh, will be uh, that much uh, better. When, when, when you aren't genetic, okay, you're gonna, I'm gonna go to India. In India, the plant can take the harshest climatic condition. Mm. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. if it's cold during the day, it's tropical hot, it's at eight, nine, ten thousand uh, thousand feet high. Uh, there's so much water in the morning, you can take a shower under the plant, literally. <laughs> I have never seen any mold, anything ever. Right. For the many years I, uh, I, I made ash in, uh, in India. And so it's like, for me, that genetic is perfect for emerald triangle. Mm -hmm. a, little, a lot of humidity, really hot at night, a little colder at, in, uh, in the evening. And technically speaking, it would, but the, the health of the plant is not really defined only by the genetic. It's defined by the, the living soil. Mm -hmm. So that if you take a genetic in India, but you don't analyze the soil, you and, and know your soil wherever you want to be, you don't know how well that plant is going to adapt to the climatic uh, condition because there is first an adaptation at the uh, underground that defines the growth of the plant. You know what I mean? So it's like, Absolutely. you go into microbe, uh, it goes way beyond all oh, that climate. We are on the same uh, zone, climatic yeah, zone. Just the latitude. Afghanistan, I'm good. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh, uh, uh, uh. It's way deeper than that. Sure. I suppose it's similar. You know, scientists are out there finding these tribes in the Amazon, but like uncontacted tribes who still live natural, not part of civilization. They're collecting their, their feces so they can do experiments to see what kind of gut bacteria they have. And that's mm. going to be similar to getting the soil from India. Some Landry's gut bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, there... Makes sense to me. <laughs> it does make sense. I mean, I've tried, in my flower gardening days, I've tried to move wildflowers and... You think you're moving them in every every condition that's normal, but some sometimes you just can't reproduce things, and plants just don't grow. You know, mm -hmm. you, you're doing everything right, just won't move. Mm -hmm. I fully understand what he's talking about. Trying to move what the plant needs, its okay. microbiome would be a great thing to move. You can tell me. Oh man, you say I'm going to do it now. We should be more environmentally friendly and encourage it more. I think. Sorry, because when you do that, you remind yourself to. Uh, to think about it, you know, I mean, it's um, it's it just a, a state of mind where even if you're not perfect, you always think to uh, to get there to do a yeah. little better. You know, what I mean, it's already huge. Right, sure. I do everything yeah. I can. Intent. Being a chemical grower, I mean, I compost my waste, I reuse cocoa as much times as I can, and the rest of the time, when it's done, it usually goes in my outside garden. I mean, and then my runoff is always fed to my outdoor container plants. And so my, my impact is as low as I can make. I'm using rainwater. It's closed loop right. system. So, but the That's next step now. is going full organic would be my next jump. So. But you have to remember that 
the whole uh, hydro industry is based on NPK. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the three elements that are left when you burn the plant to nothing. Okay. So you're going to take a plant dead, you're going to burn it, you're going to analyze whatever dead residues there is mm -hmm. to define the, the nutrition of a living plant. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, <laughs> uh, think about it. Yeah. How can you trust these people? Mm. It's fake from the beginning. And all this is to sell us the extra that we didn't use to kill each other yeah, uh, sure, in right. World yeah. War II. Super, <laughs> thank you very much. That is the root you of know fertilizer. That? That's it. Yeah. That made too much nitrogen. How, how do we get rid of this? Uh, grow plants with it. Call it Miracle Grow. <laughs> Yeah. No, and it will, you will, you will, as a grower, if you make your ash, it, it makes a huge difference because, like I say, the trichomes are not part of the plant main metabolism. So mm. it's the, the, the trichomes glands are literally the history of the plant relation with the outside world. It's like a book, it mm. tells you everything that the plant has been through. Uh, with what's around it. So if you know, as a, as a grower, when you know your resin also, well, you know a lot more about your plant that, uh, that you would if you had not started to, uh, to play around with it, to, to study it, study the trichome gland. I mean, know as much science as you can about the plant. Yeah, that's important. It, uh, it changed really the game, especially for uh, when you go into that tricon formation and cannabinoid yeah. formation and stuff. It's important to understand the how, but also very important to understand the why in all of this, I think. Because you can do different stuff. It's like right. if you grow flowers and uh, you want a lower THC uh, amount, uh, higher CBDA amount, or you want to go into the CBGA, when you know which cannabinoid form each other, which one form, uh, form faster, well, you can play mm -hmm. around with it. You know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. It's, it's uh, even at the, at the farmer level to, uh, to know your plant to that level, it's, uh, it has an impact. <laughs> Organic is just so much hard work and there's bugs everywhere. There's bugs. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know it's fun. worth it man it's worth it you, you, you look, it's just like a learning how to grow all over again really it's a completely new technique from going from hydro to organics because you really don't get many problems with bugs when you're in hydro it's true bugs i don't get like you got fungus gnats but bugs bugs are kind of a an issue people always say when you grow organic you get bugs but if you if you do your ipm properly yeah that's all right yeah your, I'm yep, just concerned that it's like when I first start with the living soil and I bring it indoors, there's going to be time until it balances itself out to be that, that equilibrium between the good bugs and the bad bugs. So, well, there's no bad bugs in the beginning, then you no. should be okay. No, well, and, and, uh, I mean, you have to think that if a bug can attack a plant, the plant is not strong enough, is not healthy enough to deal with it. Right. Simple. Mm -hmm. Or you're in a condition where the plant cannot call a predator to that pest to deal yeah. with it because the plant cannot. It's uh -huh. like it's yeah, not it's that right. the, the chemical arsenal that the plant has in the gland 
manipulate, can, can attract or repel insects. But yeah. there is some insects that after 300 million years of war between mm -hmm. the insect and the, and the plant world that, that can deal with whatever the plant is throwing. In that case, the plant call predator to that... Uh, to that, well, and, that and that just makes me think, right? You say so like it, it calls a predator and it will use pheromones for that, which, you know, to yeah. smell. Would, that, yeah. would a certain attack from a certain insect encourage the plant to call another insect via pheromones, which changes the flavor of the buds? Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. well, insect indoor as a, as, a pre, uh, as a preventive system works super good. Yeah. yeah super I use nematodes and I use mites. Um, yeah, I, I honestly like, and I, I spray my stuff with, I use compost tea um, on my leaves and stuff. And, you know, you get the microbiota going. So it basically, yeah, you, you outcompete everything. Um, there's the nematodes in the soil. Don't let the fungus gnats take off if there's any soil maggots. And I mean, aphids and stuff like that, you just, you got to be clean too. You don't want to be rolling around in the grass before you come in, obviously. But um, same thing goes for synthetic grows too. Um, but yeah, like bugs, bugs aren't really too big of an issue and any in like pet or uh, diseases or and mildew and stuff either never bring anything yeah in your room if it has <laughs> not been in heavy duty double covid quarantine yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. and change your clothes when you go into the into your room yeah you have you have uh, uh, something to change that is only when you go in, a, uh, in that room, you change, you leave your clothes outside like this, you're sure that you don't have something that you picked up when you were walking around uh, looking at, at stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cleanliness I can next to in the yard before I even go near a tent. I won't even unzip a tent after I mow a yard. <laughs> yeah. It's not happening. I've just stirred every yeah. bug up in, on, on the property. That's just in trouble. <laughs> Indoor gardens are like paradise for everything, plants included. But bugs, yeah, there's no bugs it, no dude. competition. Yeah. You let a bad guy in, they can go crazy. Yeah. Come on, if you was a bug, right? Where would you want to live? In, in a garden room? indoor with on no a ganja plant. You Absolutely. can't blame them. <laughs> it's just part of nature, man. <laughs> well, it truly is. It's opp it's opportunity. That's all it really is. The bugs doesn't have anything bad for. It. He's not trying to harm you. He just hey, he sees a tasty meal. So, Frenchie, you've traveled a lot, man. Uh, have you got a book or something? Or is there any plans for a book where you're going to tell everybody about all these stories you've got? Uh, I, don't, I don't tell uh, all my stories. No, It was really crazy, crazy. You were the scum of the world, really, when, you were, when I was young. Smoking ash was the most evil thing, the, the worst things you could do to yourself and the most evil thing that you could do to everybody close to you. Really? Everyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? That mm. literally, you, you were killing yourself straight up and you were hurting everybody that was close to you. To the point that my best friend, it took him six months before he, he finds a the courage to come to me and ask me if I would 
try to smoke some ash with him. Like, right. It was really paranoiac that our uh, friendship would be broken. Mm. And that was one of the, of the reasons why I was traveling. You know, it's like when I smoked the first time, I was 17 years old. I was lost. I had been really abused by a loving education and the, the school system and stuff of uh, the 70s. I was looking at a future that was absolutely scary. I, I, just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Mm. And then I smoked. Right. I smoked that, uh, that Lebanese uh, joint and I was dreaming of the only things I wanted to do when I was a kid was traveling. All my books were travel, adventure, crazy people all over the, the world. When I smoked that joint, it was like tasting and smelling all those places that I was dreaming, the thousand and one night, Persia, India, yeah. North Africa, the Red Sea and stuff. And I had not been that happy since I was a little boy, mm. literally where you're so happy, you run just for the joy of running. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You laugh just because fucking life is so, so amazing. It's like, right. dude, yeah. like you can tell me anything you want. Is that what I'm feeling right now? There is no fucking way it's going to be bad. Mm. You know what I mean? And the pressure of the society and my vision, my, my uh, new uh, awareness of any, the only things I really want to do is to travel, uh -huh. brought me to when I, as soon as I was 18 years old, I split. And yeah. I didn't go back to France for 18 years. Wow. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't care where I was going. I just wanted freedom, like nothing to hold me, I could wake up any day, I would meet anybody, anywhere, the guy would say, why don't you come here, or why don't you, sure, why not, I had no destination, you know what I mean? I, awesome, uh, man, so, and, and you just did, you did that for 18 years? Yeah, almost 20, until my daughter wow. birth, I was 36. Mm -hmm. Wow, man, and then you settled down in the US? And my daughter was born in Japan, so we lived a little bit more in, uh, Whoa, in Japan. Whoa, so you traveled, man. You made your way all the way through Europe and then through China and everything. Is that what you did? No, 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 no. Uh, I, uh, I did uh, a lot around the Mediterranean Sea. Then I went to Mexico and I fall in love. Oh, mm. The Mayan culture, mushroom, peyote, all that stuff, it's like... In my time, I, I was very much into Castaneda and Shaman and uh, sure. everything magic and hallucinogenic was like uh, very high on my list. Actually. Like ayahuasca? No, because that's more Amazonia and stuff like that. Me, it was mushroom peyote. Peyote was like, I'd been a huge discovery in Mexico. My, uh, yeah, Chichen Itza and all the mechanics. Very, very, very special. <clears throat> And uh, I wasn't really much into India because I didn't like the people coming back from India. Right. I felt like they had a, a, 
enlightened uh, attitude that uh, I, I brush spirituality, that's it. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm it. And uh, through really a, a weird, uh, not coincidence, but um, a weird happening. Uh, the person who is my best friend today, that was a close friend at the time, but I wasn't traveling with him, he was traveling alone. I was traveling with another person. We, uh, we traveled a lot at that time uh, doing the Yiking, the Chinese divination uh, book where you throw, you use stick or coin to, uh, to get an hexagram that gives you an answer to your question. We wouldn't do a move without asking. And the, the book told us that we should all three travel together. And cool. we were planning to go back to, uh, to Central America and Amazonia. And he was planning to go back to India. And so where do we go? And the guy is the big talker. And frankly, you always say you shouldn't judge before you know. We went to India, the three of us, $450 in our pocket, leaving, uh, leaving our hometown, taking the train on our way to, uh, to India. And uh, I didn't like it for a good... It's not that I didn't like it. It was a cultural shock because I was really a foreigner. I had never been yeah. all over the Mediterranean Sea, Mexico. People look like me. I, have, I had moustache and a bouche when I, was, uh, when I was young. I looked pretty local. <laughs> so India was like a very different the culture. Uh, and uh, it was a, a cultural shock. You, you need to... You don't fall in love at first sight with India like, uh, like it had been for me in Mexico. Right. In India, to fall in love, you need to understand enough that it, you see the beauty of it, kind of. Yeah. In my case, it was like that for me. Uh -huh. uh, but I, uh, I actually stayed a year in India. The first time. At the end of the day, I have spent eight years of my life in India and it took me like a few years before actually I went back to Mexico uh, to the, the peyote desert and stuff. So it's, um, India, India changed a lot in my life. That spirituality with, uh, with smoking uh, charas that you have there. Mm. Like in, in the Western world, you were, it was the most evil thing you could do. In Muslim countries, it's part of the culture. It's not really, really well received and perceived. Yeah. But you're just a bad boy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In India, it's spiritual. It's a religion. You dedicate yeah. every, every time you smoke, you dedicate your children to Shiva. You, yeah, Shiva. You're aware of what you do. It was like, it, it was, it was huge. The only thing that was bigger for me in my relation with the, with the plants through my years was when I came to America, when people told me that the plant is actually medicinal, it's like, dude, you must be joking. You know what I mean? Like everybody, yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I smoke the first time because a medical reason. So at the beginning I thought, yeah, it's all California, the legal, la, la, la. Yeah. They, they're talking the talk. 
and uh, and then you have one, two, three, four, and like you can see people. It's like it's bloody true. It's like yeah. Wow. I was the same. Yeah. When I first started, started seeing legislation happen in the States and it's like, yeah, for medical, useful medical, it's like, behave yourselves, behave. But then you do start to see all of these cases that are solved by cannabis and so many people coming up opioids and all these dangerous medications and moving to cannabis and it actually works for them. It's, it's like, it, there's, it, it's, it there's clear evidence it works. Yeah. It changed everything. That's when it became more than a, you know, making ash every year in producing country was my life. Yeah. Uh, but all my friends were making ash and I made ash all my life. It wasn't really a big deal, but it, uh, it, it was really much part of who I became. And then I come and talk to people like Perron that tell you that doesn't matter how much of a fucking stoner you think you are, baby you were actually medicating yourself. Mm. And now I look at it, I'm smoking at 63 as much as I was smoking in my 20s in India. Seven, ten grams a day of ash. Nice. That means that I have been really truly medicating myself (laughs) at a certain level that I need to... uh, to be fully well and express myself and uh, and be who I am. So is I, I always thought that I was really just a, a hardcore stoner, and uh, no, actually I uh, I have been medicating myself thoroughly uh, and pretty well <laughs> to a certain extent all my life without knowing it. It was like you have no idea how much an impact when you. I was old. I was in my mid late forties. I mean, it's like I had I had been smoking ash since I was seventeen years old, living eighteen years in producing country. When I reached that, when I'm that old, I realized that it's a medicine. It's wow! It changed everything, mm. and then I became even more passionate about knowing everything about it. Mm-hmm. That's an important distinction, I think, because mm-hmm. we hear the you know destigmatization of people who who don't use and, and trying to get that concept across. But you are yeah, you're obviously a, a the heaviest smoker or one of them, you know, uh, a guy that smokes a lot of THC. But even you had the perception that it wasn't medical up until a point, right? And then the light bulb went off. So I think that's probably true for a lot of old school people. We're all victims um, of propaganda to some extent. Yeah, yeah essentially. Yeah, I mean, so. when you're 17 years old, the world is telling you that you're, you're doing something really, really bad. It's mm-hmm. a pressure. I mean, yeah. everyone, you're a, you're a paria. You're really living in the, on the dark side of the moon. You know what I mean? And Every cop is looking at you. You risk a heavy duty sentence for uh, right. for a little yeah. piece of ash in, uh, in your yeah. pocket. It's intense. Propaganda yeah. at the time. That's the way it's it hard to it. see that as medical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah back Shut in the up. day, you, you were a hippie. You you were trash. You were a bum if you smoked it. You know, if you had anything to do with it. Yeah, that's right. They used to tell you it would make you go insane. They would show you the pictures on TV of the world spinning and tell you how, you know, it was out of control and make you would make you be schizophrenic. And I remember being a kid being scared to death of that because my gosh, the commercials were horrible. They're as bad as as you thought though, when you first took that first hint, you're as bad as anybody ever said. It's easy. 
I don't have. No, it, we, it's funny because in my family, only my uh, my mom's sister uh, has been a little bit aware of uh, of my life. But <laughs> after years of telling her, having her read shit and stuff about smoking ash, the, the first time I smoked ash in front of her, she looked at me like, that's all? Like she was expecting <laughs> me to... Uh, to Transform like, into a bat and fly it's around it's the room like that guy. That. <laughs> all that happened is to put a smile on your face. I, I've been telling you, it's like, it's nothing. Yeah, there's no needles. We're not like Nothing. in a no. room. He's like, and I smoked a second one, and so she realized it's like, yeah, I guess it's like, it's not that intense. He didn't turn into but a the, the room. But on the other hand, all my generation, when when the heroin was on the street, super cheap, and you couldn't smoke ash, you couldn't find ash on the street. There is 80% of the kids that I knew when I was in 1817 that are dead from uh, overdose and, uh, and AIDS. My brother in, uh, in, uh, in a number. Wow. It's like, it's insane. Right. Because, dude, you tell me that ash is so dangerous, I'm going to touch hero. You're telling me the fucking same. Yeah. I don't trust you. You're yeah. bullshitting me. Well, bon, but they, don't, they didn't bullshit on everything. Yep. Some drugs are much more dangerous than, uh, than others. And if you don't have yeah. that awareness, you can go deep into something that is really, yeah, really dangerous. dangerous. Well, there is no, uh, no return. Like. Mm. Uh, times are changing, though, lads. We're getting there. We're getting it's changing. It's like right now we're living, we're living historic moment. Look, 2020, dude. That's going to stay in the history book forever. Yeah. <laughs> Many <laughs> reasons. It's a paragraph on 2020. Not much has gone on this year, man. It's been pretty quiet. I don't know about it. It's all a blur, <laughs> so it seems like... That's why we need to be so aware. It's because everything is changing. And because of COVID, even more so. How many businesses are gone forever? Yep. How many business have changed forever because right. it's easier to work from home than uh, feeding up office in uh, in big city. People mm -hmm. can live anywhere they want. It's like uh, we, they need a new industry. They need new uh, natural resource. There is there is a lot that is necessary to our survival. You know, I mean, it's not like we have a choice and time to play around. And you have like 14, 15 years old kids that are ready to fucking move shit because they're scared to death that they don't have a future. Mm -hmm. And they have the power of social media to do shit. You know what I mean? It's, like yeah, it's yeah. changing. So uh, to be part of what is happening now, uh, it's, it's huge. And... Me, I'll, I'll see maybe the, the tail end of it to, for you guys in your 30s to be right there in the middle of creating the mm -hmm. next future. It's like, yo. Yeah, so do you smoke flour at all, Frenchy? Or do you just. Oh, I do. I, I actually mix flour, ash, and tobacco. Oh, cool. That's that my. Sounds like a Mackie my daily, in there. My uh -huh. daily diet. On top of that, I dab. And in the all morning, right. I eat a piece of ash. 
Nice. With my coffee normally, like to, uh, but I don't go into prepping and I actually should. I should prepare more of my gizos, like a, a use, a, a nice jar that I let the alcohol and all the spices age and I just pick up a little bit every morning. I've been lazy. Can we find these recipes online? So have, have you got your recipes for uh, like your coffee, how to make the, the hash coffee and that? Yeah, hash yeah, yeah. It's, it's on my, uh, on my IG. It's on my uh, IGTV. Uh, on Instagram. You want to make it. Nice. That's definitely it's something I'm interested in. Yeah. I'm I usually it. just dump a bunch of coconut, infused coconut oil into my coffee, which is also tastes really good, but that sounds... Uh, Sounds a lot better. Playing with the spices, <laughs> it's like it, it makes for a very... Yeah. It's kind of like... Um, a, a, a bigger uh, experience. There is more to it. Yeah. Like sensation and feeling. It's pretty interesting. I've had a few different bottles of mead over my, my days, and, and they use different spices, different local, uh, locally available, seasonally available stuff. And it's always unique but always really you know very full and very good so a similar kind of experience i think exactly yeah mm -hmm. yeah man so uh we should let you go frenchy we've kept you for a long time you know it's only ever supposed to be 34 30 to 40 minutes but we always yeah, just chat yeah. shit right <laughs> we end up staying over two hours usually so yeah smoke. anytime and if you got question for your people like uh we can do it again and I answer questions or some stuff like that. that oh, yeah, awesome. man, for sure. We'd love to have you on again, yeah. mate. Yeah. I, I have questions. a weakness for, uh, for English people because I learned my, uh, to speak English in England and with all Cockney, like some heavy-duty accent. And they always yeah. told me, dude, if you speak English, who cares about the accent? You speak English, you should understand me. You actually speak English with a little... You drive 10 minutes yeah, down like the road that. and the accent changes in the UK. So when people you make fun of, of me, I always think of, uh, of you guys. Because <laughs> this is yours. <laughs> well, yeah, ask I ask you one last favor before you go. Could you say, could you say this is Frenchie Cannoli. Welcome to High on Homegrown. We'd love to have that for an intro for the show. <laughs> to to uh, Welcome to? This is Frenchie Cannoli. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Oh, I, 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 I. Hi, hi, H-I-G-H, hi. Like you get some more cash. No, 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 with you. Give it a shot. With your French accent. With your French accent, hey. Hey, guys, this is Franchi Canoli with I, I, homegrown. Yes, perfect, that'll do. Nice. Excellent, mate. Excellent, excellent. Couldn't ask for It's been nice a massive pleasure. We'll be in contact. And uh, please thank, uh, thank Kimberly before us as well. I will. For she's she's listening. Cool. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah, no, it, was, <laughs> it was a great pleasure. Big yeah, pleasure. pleasure. Yes, Absolutely. Thank you very much. We'll do it again soon. We'll be in touch, man. For sure. Have a great time, guys. You Have too, a good one, Frenchie. Good night, yeah, mate. Take it easy. Ciao. All right, yes. man. He's a cool guy. He is a cool guy. Fuck yeah. He knows more about hash than I'll ever know. Oh, yeah. man. Gosh, it's like, now we just want to fucking make some hash out of some fucking organic meat.